the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, 935. Great Friday morning to you. Appreciate you joining us. You know, Tunnel to Towers is coming up. The run, uh, the 10th run now in Medina is coming up on Sunday. We're going to talk to Chris Rico a little bit later in the program. We talk to him every year in support of Tunnel to Towers. Of course, that's the uh, phenomenal run that is actually also... Um, repeated uh, each year in New York City when uh, uh, Stephen Sills, uh, another hero, um, found out what had happened at the World Trade Center. He was on his way to go golf with his brothers. He uh, got on the other side of the uh, uh, the battery tunnel, uh, realized what had happened, get, grabbed his gear out of his trunk, uh, all of his firefighting gear, and then ran about the distance in a 5K, about a little over three and a half miles, back to the World Trade Center, and then started climbing stairs to get... Uh, to the victims to try to help them. And uh, that, of course, was was lost, as were so many others when those towers came down. Uh, it's a remarkable story. We tell it every single year, and Chris will be with us in the uh, third hour of the program to talk about that. Now, when we talk about sacrifices and we talk about uh, heroism, Travis Mills is just a remarkable story. He's uh, he's a U.S. Army Staff Sergeant, retired now from the 82nd Airboard, Airborne. He calls himself a recalibrated warrior, and that's pretty good. Uh, I, I immediately thought of actually uh, Steve Austin and the $6 million man from my childhood. Uh, we can rebuild him. They rebuilt him in a remarkable fashion after he lost not just both of his arms, but also both of his legs or portions thereof when he was, um, when he was uh, critically wounded by an IED in Afghanistan in April of 2012. He has spent the last now, what, 11 years trying to not only recover himself and, uh, uh, and, and rebuild his life in such an amazing way, but to impact others through the Travis Mills Foundation. And uh, we're joined now by an American hero. Travis Mills, thank you for coming on our program. How are you, sir? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm doing great. What a wonderful introduction. I mean, I just had a bad day at work, but I appreciate you saying those nice things, and uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, sir. A bad day at work. Yeah, that's uh, that's that, that's an understatement of the year. Travis, tell us uh, tell us the specifics about what happened to you and when you realized what had happened to you. Absolutely. So I was in Afghanistan on my third deployment to um, you know overseas with the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, happened to come to a short halt, and we decided to set up some security, and we slept the ground with a minesweeper. But um, unfortunately, the the minesweeper missed. Um, the bomb and marked it safe. I put my backpack on the ground, and after my backpack landed on top of the bomb, uh, it went off, and, and it kind of tore me apart. You know, uh, my right side was completely gone. My left leg was still dangling, but but you know, it was there's no salvaging. And then uh, they had to cut my left hand off two days later. But uh, 14 hours of surgery, where doctors and nurses just worked on me for you know, so long. And the thing that gets me is that they could have given up and loosened up one tourniquet, but instead they gave blood from their veins to me to keep me alive. And I think that's just incredible. 
that they believed in my life being, you know, saved and thought that it mattered, even though I was laying there with, you know, terrible injuries with, with no real um, plan for the future or no understanding what my life could actually be. So just a really, really incredible uh, amount of work that went into me because people believed in me. First of all, it's amazing that the first thing you do is give credit to the surgical team and those who uh, who help save your life. Uh, you know, because uh, and, and I, I second that, of course, every step of the way. But it's what you experienced that is uh, that is the true heroism here. And and Travis, I asked you uh, my second part of my first question to you was when did you realize what had happened to you? Because I'm assuming you were knocked unconscious when 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 the backpack hit the hit the mine and and the explosion happened. Uh, I'm I'm guessing you weren't laying there feeling all of that. When did you wake up to find out that you you know that you had been you essentially now were missing four limbs? Yeah, so I actually was awake. Um, were I, uh, so yeah, and, and um, you know I I hit the ground on my left side of my face. I rolled over. I saw the aftermath. My medic came up to me. I told him, "Don't worry about me." I figured I wasn't going to make it anyway. And in my line of work, I've seen a lot of guys die for a lot less injury. So I thought, you know, it's, it'll be over quick and. You know, there's no reason to try to save me, but he ignored me and, and went ahead and worked on me. And while he was working on me, I radioed my lieutenant with my left hand that was still kind of there. And I told him to, you know, send the medic that he had because we had other guys injured. Um, and then they, you know, worked on me, gave me a uh, fentanyl lollipop. So the pain wasn't as, as uh, bad as you would imagine. And some, you know, some shock, if you will, or adrenaline kicked in. And then they got me on a helicopter and... Um, on the helicopter with two other guys that were hit. One guy was yelling out in pain. He had every right. He was definitely injured. And I motioned for the pilot to take his helmet off, and I got my left arm free from the strap, and I brought it over my head, you know, as to say, take your helmet off. And I told him, you know, give my guys water um, and tell them they're going to be okay. And I winked at him, you know, through, like, this protective, like, Vaseline they put in your eye. Mm-hmm. Um so it looked like beer goggles. And then I got to the hospital, and they rolled me down the hallway. And as I was going down the hallway, I kept trying to sit up. <laughs> and about the third time I tried to sit up, the nurse pushed me down for the third time, looked at that nurse, and I said, you know, quit touching me. I'm fine. Like, leave me alone. I just got to get back to my guys. I'm not sure what you're doing. And I said, I just got to get my feet back underneath me. And she looked at me and said, you know what, Sergeant Mills, I don't know how you're still awake right now, but you need to go to sleep. And they uh, they actually pushed fluids in me to knock me out. And that's when I looked at that nurse, and I said, my little girl, am I ever going to see her again? Because my daughter was six months old at the time, and I thought, there's no way I'm waking up from this. And, and then they worked on me. So, so no, I, I actually, I, I, yeah, I was awake. I, I'm, I'm blown away by that. I did not know that part of your story, uh, which is why I guess I asked it. I, I kind of imagined yeah. you waking up in a, you know, in a surgical bed or in a hospital bed after a surgery and then being told, you know, Travis, here's what happened. You know, your legs are gone, your arm is gone, and the other hand uh, it, it uh It's something that's impossible for anybody else to fathom. And what's even more impossible, Travis, is that your first concern was not for yourself, but for your your guys, your other guys, saying, "I'm not going to make it. Go help them." And then being on the on the chopper and being take care of these guys. I just, um, I, I, where does that come from? Do you think? Where, where, I mean, is that just is that just God at work? Are you are you a man of faith? Have you been a religious man? Where does that kind of concern and compassion for others, despite your own incomprehensible? Uh, you know, physical situation at that point, where does that come from? Well, I'm definitely, definitely a man of faith, but I also, um, it's all about the mission first, it's all about the guys, all about, you know, making sure that they were taken care of. And in that situation, um, war movies actually helped me. And I know it sounds silly, um, but in my head was a movie, Saving Private Ryan. 
And in that movie, which is a great movie, one of my favorites, I, you know, I, uh, I don't shy away from more movies. I actually love them. Um, was the medic got shot in the stomach and the medic cried out for his mom and he begged for his life. And ultimately he died. And I told myself in every deployment, no matter what happens, I'm going to not be that guy. At the end of the day, it's not my choice what happens to me, right? It's, it's in God's hands, so I will do the best I can. But instead of freaking out, because I think if I would have freaked out and I would have been screaming and yelling and got my heart rate up, I probably would have bled out in the battlefield. But instead, I just stayed calm. I said, well, this sucks, whatever, you know, and, and I kind of, you know, I, my my, uh, my medics, they were so surprised about how I reacted because, yeah, it was a terrible thing that happened. But for me, I just didn't have, I, I just told myself, you know, hey, no, no good comes from freaking out. The last memories your guys are going to have of you is not you crying for your life or begging for, you know, anything like that. You're just going to be okay. So, uh, that's, I, I don't know if that's the willpower that I had. And then being a staff sergeant and promoted fast in the military, I was always looked at as a leader. So out of 40 guys, I was like uh, this weapon squad leader, which is the third highest ranking enlisted guy. I was only 20, you know, four years old, but, uh, but I had, you know, I had some, some real authority. So, so there was that, and then on top of that, we had, um, you know, just I had the ability to keep my mind right because I, I just I just told myself, no matter what happens, you're not going to change the outcome, so just do your best. We are talking with um, retired U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Travis Mills of the 82nd Airborne, who um, was critically injured uh, in 2012 in Afghanistan. As uh, If you just turned it on, he lost both of his legs, uh, one of his arms. The other one eventually was amputated. And um, Travis, I, I want to talk about the Travis Mills Foundation, and I want to talk about your, yeah. you know, what you do now as a, you know, as a motivational speaker and your book and all that stuff. But I'm, I hope you'll forgive me for for dwelling on the the circumstances that led you to this place because it's just so fascinating. Um, so I want to ask you two more questions about it. The first one is, once you realized that the mission was over. Um, as you said, you know, you, you, you were, it was all about the mission. You know, you were, you were going to be, you were going to be what you needed to be for the purposes of completing the mission. But once you're in a hospital bed, you're a week, you're two weeks, you're a month past the surgery or multiple surgeries or whatever it is. And you're in a situation now figuring out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Was there ever a point where you didn't have that spirit you're describing right now? Concern for other people, being motivated by war movies and, and all kinds of other things. There had to have been a point where depression, sadness, um, you know, self, uh, self pity had to have set in when you looked down and you realized the, you know, the, the physical specimen that you were as a staff sergeant and airborne, 82nd airborne, uh, everything that you were is going to have to change now because of the current condition you find yourself in. How did you get past all of that? Yeah, um, so it's, it's pretty it's pretty crazy, right? So I woke up in the hospital bed on my 25th birthday four days later and found out that I was a quadruple amputee, right? Like I didn't know the aftermath of the surgeries and whatnot. And then for three hours, I ignored everybody. And I had questions in my head, right? The doctors and nurses asked questions. My brother-in-law was there. Um, but I just kept, you know, in my head, like, am I a bad person? Does God hate me? What did wrong life deserve this? Um, and the big question was, how can I be a husband and a father? And, you know, I'm great friends with Gary Sneath. Um just through the work that he does, and, and I, he's been a mentor to me and, and great guy, Lieutenant Dan, you know, from Forrest Gump, I had the question of why didn't I just die? Like, how is this going to be better? And um, eventually, my, you know, I, my, I got back home seven days after my injury. I, I saw my daughter for the first time, and then it just clicked. Uh, you know, there's going to be hard days, and there's going to be easy days, and there's going to probably be, in the beginning, more hard days than easy, but 
my daughter, six-month-old little girl, is still my daughter. I told my wife to take the house, the cars, any money we had, you know, and go. And, like, this isn't what I would choose for you. And she's like, no, we'll get through this together. So my wife is a lot of the story. And then my daughter, Chloe, who learned to walk with me at the same time I learned how to walk. And is my be- she's still my best friend to this day. And I tell people, like my foundation, the Travis Mills Foundation, if you want to figure out why I did it, just look at my daughter. Look at my, my daughter, um, you know, still being there, and I'm her dad. And, um, and, you know, fast forward, I have a son. He's six years old, and his name is Dax, um, because the Max were Daniel and Alexander. So his name's D-A-X after those two that made it possible for me to come back and have another child. And I jumped around in the story a lot, and I apologize, but... No, I think no. I found my true strength from my daughter and my wife and my family support. And then, you know, it, it's a real, it's a real uh, empowering yet, yet somber thing to lay in the hospital bed and realize that I'm not going to die and this is my life. So you make one of two choices, get better or don't. But that's all you have. I mean, people wonder like, oh, my gosh, how'd you do it? And I see how outside looking in, it's like it's really astonishing and so amazing. But for me... I had to make that decision to get better or to, to dwell on it. And there's nothing I could do by dwelling on it. So I just got better. Uh, apologize for nothing. I mean, I'm, you, I'm you, sorry you, you should bounce. Dry. No, no, no. You should bounce around. You have a billion different things to say and a billion different elements of the story to talk about. No, you're doing phenomenally well, and I appreciate it very much. And then the last thing I'm going to ask you about what happened then, and then we'll get into what you're doing now, is is what kind of a, you know, who was Travis Mills before this? You don't sound like you're a guy who found his strength, you know, in your wife and daughter after something tragic that happened to you and it was some sort of a light that came on. You sound like you went into this whole thing. You're a very, very unique guy. You seem like you always have had a positive attitude. I don't know you. I didn't know you then. Who were you before you went into the service and before this all went down? Uh, I was the captain of the football and baseball and basketball teams from Pee Wee on up to varsity. Um you know, always stepped up to help out, always smiling, joking, having a good time. Not the best student, I'll be honest. More of a BC kind of average student. Uh, but I can get myself, I can talk myself out of trouble just as fast as I get into it, so that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> you know, and then I was always smiling. Like, we would get in a firefight overseas on my third deployment. We'd get in a firefight, and I would run to the front, and I would start singing the 82nd songs. And things that usually guys get annoyed by, but I don't rank them so they couldn't, but it became, like, this really fun thing that we did. And... um I was just always positive. Like people, I had guys in my first, there, when our first firefight happened in my third deployment, I'd been firefighters before, but my first one happened. Um, and I kind of, I led from the front, commanded the, the area, went and got a guy out of the dry riverbed with rockets and mortars and RPGs coming at us and small arms fire and machine guns. Um, and I went and saved him. Not, I mean, yeah, I, I did. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be boastful here, but I went down and got him by myself. And I had two guys that were in a different unit and they were like, you know, when we, we came here and, we saw how you acted, always smiling and joking and singing and having a good time. We didn't know how you could ever become a staff sergeant and be the weapon squad leader, like the senior guy for the squad leaders. And after today, like, we'll follow you anywhere, no questions asked. And, I mean, that meant a lot to me because you turn it on, you turn it off. I don't have to be this, you know, TV screen, you know, mean sergeant yelling at people. I never did. If I yelled at you, like, you did something so so terrible, I had to actually yell. And I've always just maintained that in my life. Like, I... I don't yell at my, my wife and I. We've never gotten an argument where I've yelled at her and, and said any bad names. I don't think it solves anything. And um, just who I am, I guess. So I, I don't know where I find the drive. My parents are very determined, great people. And I'm fortunate to have them in my life every day. And uh, I have a sister and a brother. I'm the middle child. So, you know, it's always I'm the most important. And, and it's always all about me. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I'm just, this is who I am. 
Well, I'll tell you what, it's exactly what I expected here. You know, being a captain of all of your teams and everything else that you, you were before, you, it, it's, some people are born to be leaders. Some people are born to be, uh, those who inspire others. And now you're doing that in the aftermath of everything that went down. First, you wrote a book, uh, which is, which is amazing. It's called Tough as They Come. It's a New York Times bestseller. You're doing, uh, speaking tours where you're going out and addressing groups. And tell us what the Travis Mills Foundation is all about. Absolutely. So the Travis Mills Foundation was just an idea my wife and I had to do care packages and send them overseas to the guys that were deployed from my unit and their new units that they were in. And we donated $5,000 from ourselves, and we decided to, um, just from ourselves, do it. And we did, and it went really well. But then I went on these really awesome trips at Walter Reed and learned how to go snowboarding and downhill mountain biking and uh, horseback riding and kayaking, just all these action sports that I could still do. Because I didn't think I had much left. I had anything to offer. And I found out I could. On these trips, my wife got to go with me because I needed a non-medical assistant. So I said, we should build something where we bring families out because family's the only thing that got me through. So we built, um, well, we bought a property and we put a lot of uh, effort into it. A bank believed in us enough to give us a loan. And now we have this gorgeous estate where we bring out families that have been through physical injury due to service. Um, and we bring them out and show them that no matter what, life goes on. And to be off the sidelines and get after it. And uh, we also, on top of that, partner with a post-traumatic stress program called Warrior Path, which is for first responders and combat veterans, one of the best um, post-traumatic stress programs in the nation that I'm, I'm proud to say I got to partner with, and we save lives every, every time um, we have people come to our you know, programs. And as the founder and president, I don't take a dollar of it because um, it's not about me getting a salary. It's about giving back. So I'm just very honored to uh, do the work that we do, but we've somehow become one of the fastest growing and the biggest veteran service organizations around, and we change thousands of people's lives a year. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here right now at my foundation getting ready to head into a board meeting, um, and our board members are some of the most powerful people around the nation that just want to help us out and, and do what they can to, to be on our team. Travis, I guarantee you in this audience there are a lot of people right now saying, I want to help, I want to donate. How can people donate to the Travis Mills Foundation and continue your work? Well, I'll tell you what, I know Seth's with you right now, um, and there's a guy, if you guys go to travismillsfoundation.org, that's a great way to start it, but travismillsfoundation.org slash Dave, because you guys have Dave Mortosh of Mortosh Financial, yes, we and do. this man this man does a $500,000 match out of the kindness of his heart. Just, just fortunate to become friends with Dave, and I know he doesn't like me bragging about who he is and what he does, but he held an event in Cleveland. We do a radiothon right there, and we do a lot of cool things, but um, if you guys want to help with that, Donation-wise, you can just go ahead and go on TravisMillsFoundation.org slash Dave, and you donate right there, and him and his wife match it automatically up to 500000 Um And it helps us bring families out, you know, and, and uh, we also have volunteer opportunities. But I'm just, you know, I'm just so honored to do the work that I do. And at the end of the day, I can't change what happened to me, so I make the best of it just because I have the opportunity to make the best of it. Yeah, Travis, uh, I'm so glad you brought it up. I have that page in front of There's a flyer, in fact, right now for the uh, Dave Mortash uh, $500,000 match. TravisMillsFoundation.org slash Dave. And Dave Mortash and his family will indeed up to a half a million dollars match any donation that is made to the Travis Mills Foundation. And I think that's a phenomenal partnership you have. It's a wonderful gesture on his part. And obviously he's, like so many others, inspired by you and your story and what you've done since... Um, that horrific uh, uh, incident that, that you know that, that robbed you of so much, and you have not let let it slow you down at all. The last question I have for you, if I could, Travis, and you don't have to answer it, okay? Uh, because I don't know if you are political or how you feel. But just last month, of course, we marked two years since the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and um, 
Quite frankly, it was chaotic, if I'm being generous. It was a disaster, if I'm being more honest. It t- took the lives of 13 of uh, you know your brothers and sisters in arms who were, uh, who were killed uh, in the way that was handled. How do you feel about the fact that we are out of Afghanistan now, how it was done, and then... You know, the fact that, um, quite frankly, it's, it's, it's like it was before we went in. The Taliban is in charge. Uh, people that, that worked with you guys, uh, were abandoned there, are, are hiding and fleeing for their lives. Do you have any thoughts on Afghanistan as we know it now? Yeah, I mean, I did actually a lot of op-eds on this and, and, um, you know, I have my political views and I try to teeter on the line of neutral so that people on both sides of the aisle will believe in what we're doing here and know Understood. that that's what we're most, most important. But, yeah, but, I will eventually run for the U.S. Senate. You know what I mean? And um, when I do that, it'll be it'll be awesome. But what my views were then and they are now is it was time to go. It was time to leave Afghanistan. I got blown up, and uh, I'm not even joking. I got blown up because they were putting bombs in the ground, and when they put the bombs in the ground, we weren't allowed to go out and get them at nighttime because of rules of engagement. We weren't allowed to go do our jobs. And it was just becoming such a circus that it was time to go. Now, giving up air bases to fly people out like Bagram and Kandahar was absolutely ridiculous and try to fly out of just one small airfield instead of actually using the big places that we had um, to get people out um, just blew my mind. And I don't think it was properly executed by any means. But at the end of the day, when I was watching them at nighttime put bombs in the ground and not able to shoot or go out on patrol and had to walk through minefields the next day, which, which made me and a lot of other guys get blown up, I definitely believe it was time to go. And the thing is, we live in a nation that's not going to drop atomic bombs and kill people like we did in World War II. We're just, we weren't, we're not, you know, ever since Vietnam, it's, you know, the conflicts and all that, we're not willing to get the job done because of the, the casualties that would happen. So, so Afghanistan, look, I don't regret what I did over there. I don't feel bad um, about my service. I, I don't blame anybody or anything, but I do believe it was time to get out of Afghanistan because of what the rules of engagement turned into. And furthermore, I sat in President Trump's office, in the Oval Office, and told him this. And within two weeks, he changed the rules of engagement back to what they used to be. Um, you know, because he found out what I, you know, what was happening to all of our service members. And so, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's, that's the best way I can put it. I think it was time to go, but I think we, the execution of how we withdrawed was, was, a, was a bit hasty and, and not well planned out. I think that's fair, and I understand your willingness to and your desire to be non-political or to be, like you said, down the middle in this whole thing because of the importance of what you're talking about. Uh, you said talk, you talked about running for Senate in Maine. Are you you're out of Maine? Correct. Yeah, out of Maine. I'll, but my wife says I got to wait. Well, she actually said I can't do it. But I mean, what she really said was, when my when my kids get out of school, then I can do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so someday, someday down the line. Yeah. Oh, and I don't. I, I'm just saying. Like, I, I I try to be on both sides. No, I'm I'm definitely uh, <laughs> definitely on the right side of politics for the most part. You know what I mean? So, Understood. I just I don't need to offend anybody, but I think that with um, just like all the stuff going on in Ukraine, you know, my my brother-in-law, he's a civil affairs guy, and he goes, "We're getting a proxy war with Russia that we don't have to lose any soldiers and um, things like that." So I'm not sure I feel about any of it, but. I do know that my service, uh, the military, was one of the greatest, uh, probably besides for being a dad, and uh, you know, was the greatest thing to ever happen. I uh, love my job, and I, I don't feel embarrassed or upset about any of the service I did. But as far as the Taliban back in charge, um, it was kind of what happened in Vietnam, right? Like, they didn't want to go into Cambodia, where they had all the headquarters for the Viet Cong, and they decided to pull out, and everybody 
was left scratching their head saying, what, what do we even do? What was that even for? Yeah, that's exactly what I w- yeah. was wondering. I wondered how you felt about that. You sacrificed so much, almost the ultimate sacrifice, if it weren't for the heroism of the uh, surgical team, the medics, and then, of course, yourself. You left it all out there. So many others did lose their lives there, and the question now becomes was, is, uh, you know, was it worth it? Did we, did we do enough to finish yeah. the job? Uh, Travis Mills, uh, the foundation, again, travismillsfoundation.org slash Dave to make a donation that will be matched up to a, a half a million dollars by Dave Mortosh. Travis, thank you for coming on. I'm so glad you know Seth. I'm so glad we were able to bring you on and tell your story in much more depth here. Really, truly appreciate it. God bless you, sir, and keep up your great work. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, guys. Have a great day. You got it. There's Travis Mills. I told you it would be an inspirational story if you didn't know his story. I didn't know much about it at all until uh, this. And thank you to Seth for putting us in touch with uh, with uh, Travis. And by all means, if, if you're going to donate $5 to something or $50 to something, um, why not the Travis Mills Foundation and have that doubled by Dave Mortosh? Uh, it does tremendous work for veterans and for uh, those who have... Uh, suffered uh, in many ways like Dave has, or like Travis has, I should say, like Travis has. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back. Hour number two uh, is coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.